0: China's millennials feel stuck. They are caught between the country's authoritarian politics and its hypermodern technology and economic boom. In her raw and revealing memoir, Under Red Skies, Caroline Kan turns to the three generations of women in her family to understand the ever-changing China that she grew up in. Welcome to Afterwards. I'm Angat Singh Chaudhary, co-founder of Quilt.ai, here talking with Caroline Kan, an author and climate reporter based out of China. In 2019, she was named the Young China Watcher of the Year. In today's show, we will be hearing about life in China beyond the headlines, the remarkable story of her family. Her own experiences as a Chinese millennial, and by the understanding the country's youth holds the key to understanding China as it is today. Welcome, Caroline. It's really nice to meet you.
1: Hi, nice to meet you here, and thanks for inviting me to your program.
0: So let's jump right into it. They say Under Red Skies is the first English language memoir from a Chinese millennial to be published in the West. So what motivated you to write in English?
1: Yeah, so I have been working as a journalist and a writer for like almost 10 years. In my work, I read a lot of books about China, written by outsiders who travel to China and have very fresh eyes. Um, so I think that's really cool. But at the same time, I always ask myself, like, I'm someone who was, born here and grew up here and work here, live here, and my family are all here. So the available books, is kind of like in an imbalanced situation. As someone who writes in English in my work, why don't I write my own stories? And I think that would not just be about myself, but also be my country, my society, my family. So that has been uh, one of the uh, strongest motivation for me to publish my own story and also my family story uh, in the most mainstream language in the world. By doing that, I really hope I can work as a, as a bridge to bring more conversations and dialogue between China and the West, because China is very limited, the still open channels today. And I really hope, you know, by telling my own story and I can tell the people from outside of China that China is not just an exotic, strange, and unfamiliar country far away, but people living here have a lot of like similarities to people living, let's say, other countries in the US, in uh, Europe, or other part of Asia. So I really want to try to bring this like, human side of China in today's old, thin, often oversimplified narrative about China.
0: Just like there are certain perceptions that the West has about China, the people's voices are not reflected in those perceptions, and that's why you write a book. In the same way, there is a perception about millennials as well in the world. Millennials are certain types of people. Do you think that there is a different type of Chinese millennial versus the Western millennial?
1: That's yes, a very good question, and I think it's very true that you know when people uh, when they think about Chinese millennials, there are a lot of different you know labels. A few years ago, especially a few years ago, when you know my generation were coming of the age and graduated from college, there were a lot of articles, not only in English but also in Chinese, about how the young generation are so spoiled. You know they are so selfish. They have more like buying power, or they focus more on individualism and they uh, care more about, you know, like buying stuff and online shopping. So people saw a lot of different labels put on this generation, which is good because that shows like there are the interest to see who are the people and the people trying to understand this gen- this young generation. But at the same time, I think, again, this is the same Question of how much can you generally trying to show a picture of the whole generation, which I have no idea how many people, like tens of millions, hundreds of millions people from this generation. So it's a bit unfair. And you know, from my own experience, I was born in a small village in northern China. I grew up in a small town, and then at age twenty, I went to college in Beijing and graduated and worked in Beijing for many years. So like in my own experience, which is also written in the book, I write about like different life experiences by people living in those different places, like small town village or big city. And because of your background, living in that different regions with different economic development situation, that means your values will be so different. Even when you are around the same age and when you decide to like marry or not, at what age you get married and you settle down and where you choose to to work to um set your roots you believe into, so you have all the different opinions and values because of your background and also because your family background so Probably it's similar like in uh, different countries. You know, when we talk about Americans' young generation, I think people don't want to just say, oh, American uh, young generation is like A, B, C, D. But when we look at the films, for example, from Hollywood or from, uh, you know, the Netflix TV shows, we see like all the different kinds of lives like in the country. But because, like, China, too many people, although the, the word China is very familiar, but the life here is so, it's just like, as a genetic collective object, too many people, is they're so unfamiliar with China, China's real life. So, yeah, it's all, always, there's a lot of misunderstandings there.
0: A central part of your book is also on the ways in which generational differences are shifting and changing and the dynamics between generations and the narratives around the dynamics between generations. It would be great if you could start with maybe a story that brings this to life, and then we can talk from there. So what is a good story that really will help our readers and listeners understand generational differences in a rapidly growing, urbanizing China?
1: Mm-hmm. Actually, I want to give you two small examples, if that's okay. So first, I think the the most talked about issue that can reflect this big gap among different generations probably is the attitude towards marriage, having children. That is uh, one of the topics that my parents would talk to me almost every time when I visit them. Like, they would ask me about my plans to, uh, when do I want to have children? So I just got married last year. Before that, I think another question was, of course, like, when are you going to get married? So it's not just me. And it's like among all my friends, once you are approaching 30 years old, your parents will be so worried that you will be left alone forever and you will die lonely and you will just regret one day. I think that is the biggest issue right now. It's the biggest uh, the issue that generates so many discussions in Chinese society. And of course, our parents' generation, they are uh, it would be considered so strange if you remain single and no children for when you are getting after 30 years old. But that is changing because more and more young women. Uh, like realizing that they want to have an independent life, they want to have a career. So you probably like heard that China several years ago already like adopted the one-child policy, and now every couple in China is allowed to have three uh, children. And the government actually is encouraging couples to have more children because the uh, if you look at last year's newborn uh, population in China is like declining for several years in a row. People are talking about this year, maybe there will be a first time in the many, many years, there will be a negative um, population increase. But raising up a child today would cost so much money, and that is not imaginable to the older generation, who normally had my parents' generation. They wanted so hard to have a second child you know, the government encourage you to have more children, but the young people come, come out and say, no, we don't want to because we cannot afford it. And I would imagine to my grandparents' generation, that would be a a question that they never had thought about. So that is the first thing that shows the big uh, differences. And second, I want to say is the attitudes towards money. I basically grew up with this family, Every month, you uh, family planning about how much money you spend on food and how much money you spend on your other stuff and transportation and uh, what meals you, you buy, how much fruit you buy. So that was not just me. And a lot of my neighbors were all having even like a notebook to know down whatever money goes to whatever items. So the older generation, I think too, many of them, like if you can spend your own time, to save money, you would do that without question. If you spend time to do your washings, do your cleaning and you would save your balcony space to collect all the like cardboard, all the tins or anything that is recyclable because money would top first in your life because that was how they grew grew up with there was always a question of like how to make your ends meet, and because their parents went through the war, and the uh, like before the reform and opening up, China was so like locked up from outside world, and everyone know that life was difficult, was so difficult. So money to a lot of people in the older generation, money is more important than everything and when you choose a job of course you choose the one that provides you the most salary and when you are finding your partner of course your parents want to know how much he or she makes and sometimes they always like um, want to know your partner's like family background i think the young generation have a much different attitude towards money many people realize that you know, money is not the most important thing and there are more important things in your life. So I would say there's like more diversified values towards money.
0: How do you think all of this is going to resolve? Because you can definitely understand both points of view. Do you experience this as arguments happening in generations or do you experience it as evolutions? The younger generation will probably perceive your generation of millennials as also having some antiquated ideas. How do you think uh, that will play itself out?
1: I think the differences is uh, dynamic. What I mean is I don't think it's unchangeable. I don't think it's always the same because everyone makes a decision and form the values because of the environment they've been living in and, and that environment is changing. For example, like a few years ago when the smartphone just uh, became popular in China, of course, it was the first young people who bought a smartphone, and all the people thought it wasn't useful, it wasn't necessary. But in the case of my family, I think now the people who use the smartphone most are actually my uncles, my aunts, my parents, and they are using it so much every day. They are in the family. You know WeChat group and sharing all the information and they are you know using the different apps to do all kinds of like ent- entertainment, like singing, making the album, all kinds of activities they find interesting. But let's say like ten years ago, it wouldn't be imaginable. like you would think like I couldn't think about my uncle who is seventy years old, who is so good at using smartphone, but today it wouldn't surprise many people. So my point is I think the values, the gap is always changing. And I don't think that people will stick to their position and say, Oh, I'm not going to understand you, I'm not going to listen to you. Uh, but the opposite. We are always like listening to each other. And I think one thing that bond the family members together is people care about each other and love each other. For example, when I said oh, the older generation want their children to get married and settle down and have children. Well, partly that comes from, you know, their values that people are supposed to do this. But partly that comes from their belief that you will be the best off if you do that in that age. So it's because that people think you are best off if you do that. And their judgment comes from their growing up experience and that might be not suitable for today's young generation's situation. But I think what they are, the parents are trying to do is to make sure that their children will be happy and be good in the future. And if they see that, actually, you don't need to worry about that. Then I don't think they will just argue with you for the sake of arguing. The second question you said, of course, like I think the people who are just born like two thousand twenty or twenty ten or who are born like in the twenty twenties, when they look back and they would say, Hey, oh, you were born in nineteen eighty nine, so old, you know, you are you were born like last century. Of course they are going to say that. And, you know, you have so many out of date ideas. Yeah, I'm so ready to hear hear that. And I think that is already happening. But I mean every generation, every everyone have their own special unique wisdom gained from life and that is important and i always believe that there are a lot of core values no matter which year you are born no matter what environment you grew up with there are some core important values that will last much longer than you think and actually one of the, the thing I'm, I'm most happy with since I wrote the book is whenever I receive an email from someone who is from a small town in the U.S. He said, you know, the struggles you described in the book of moving from a small place to a big city, I was there too. And although like maybe the specific policies, it's different. But the struggles and the choice and the difficulties of all the things, how I feel being around with strangers and strange place, I was there. I I feel the same, especially as a woman, young woman, when I moved to the big city from a small town from the south of USA, I feel like, yeah, there are a lot of, like, the thing you described in your book, being a Chinese young woman, I feel we are similar in a way. So I was really happy to hear that.
0: You know, you mentioned the idea of being a woman and uh, women's experiences. Chinese women's memoirs and autobiographies have often been successful in the West. How do you think people react to self-narratives from women? And how do people react to personal stories, especially by women in China itself? Let's talk about how they react in your peer group, perhaps.
1: Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you're right that uh, there have been several books by Chinese authors published in English and um, very popular in the West. I think one reason is that I think I mentioned in the beginning of the program that too often is always um, outsider who come to China and write about China's story. And especially when there are very few Chinese people write about our own story, there are even fewer of women writing about our own story. So when there are several books out there available and people really want to read about them and I think it's a very unique voice and perspective and it's very important to fill the gap in the market in the literature, uh, in the literature world. So I think it's very important and I feel very lucky that there are our audience, there are people who want to listen to us, who want to know about us. Domestically in China, because of the language barrier, I would say the people who manage to read those memoirs are still a quite small, a small, only small niche group who manage to read the books. And in China, in Chinese language, memoirs are not, also not many out there. Because, you know, Moimos are always, uh, when people think about Moimos, you think about it must be someone who is famous, who is from an important family, then you get the chance to get your story published. I kind of like I understand that because, for example, if you are, you know, a Chinese uh, reader and you're living in China and you would feel less keen to learn about another individual's life, but you would be more keen to learn about a very famous family story. So I guess that is one of the reasons why a memoir by a Chinese young uh, woman in Chinese language that you wouldn't see that many like there. But people also to China probably want to know more about the society, know about uh, China's changes, development. Probably the best way is from. Uh, you know, a common family, a common person's perspective. And that would be even more interesting. I do think that is also changing in China with the help of the uh, internet and social media and a lot of people who are creating their own like self-running media. And in the past few years, I do see more and more individual stories, very powerful, very beautiful and very relevant to many people. And I do believe in the power from those stories because I think it really helps you to know that if you are suffering from something, it helps you to understand that your suffering is not alone. You are not there alone. And there are many people who share the same stories with you. Your troubles in your life is not your own troubles. And there are, you kind of can build this community to connect and to support each other. I am very happy and optimistic in that I think there will be more and more either like as an article as book or you know as a community like people get together and share and talk and hear
0: from bound feet to forced abortions, you have described China's treatment of women in some vivid detail. How do you think writing about these? experiences shaped your understanding and relationship towards your own history.
1: In the beginning, when I was a little girl, when I hear about my grandmother's story of get of the, the feed bone, it sounds like a horrible torture. So to me it was like, you know that sounds like so far away from you. It sounds like it's one of those old stories in my grandmother's old story box once you open the box, there will be endless of the pain and sorrow that all belong to that old story box. So that was how I felt about it when I was a little girl. And later, when I grew up, I learned that, oh, that is not just like one old woman's story, but that is a shared memory belong to the whole generation of them. And I learned that all the like historical meanings and all the changes and the significances attached to that shared experience. And later in my mother's experience, I learned about one child policy and how she managed to uh, give birth to me and, and how she managed to avoid all the, uh, you know, false abortion and all the people who came to the village to check on the so-called illegal pregnancy. and. Uh, I thought,' oh, that also sounds so strange and so far away from everyday life because she and her all her friends and colleagues female colleagues kind of have like the similar stories in one way or another, some managed to have a second child, some didn't, and some had a forced abortion, and some lost their job like my mother did. I think from those stories, it really helped me to understand my background, my uh history my my country's history. It's like the road for young women like me today who are working in Beijing and you know have a good life, a good job. Of course the road is like paved by all the sacrifice, all the generation of women's, women's uh, sacrifice and pains and tears. And of course they helped me to understand myself, my family, my, my country. But I don't think I would form a more like rebellious attitude towards my country in any way because I think that is, if you look at the women's history in the whole world, a lot of women have one way or another sufferings and it's from this kind of like sacrifice and helping each other, we are paving the road for the younger generation. And I believe it's the same that me and my fellow friends When we think about it, we think, oh, it's not like as uh, grand as something that in the past when people went down the street to uh, fight for the voting right. But I do think like we are still doing our share to pave a better road for even younger girls in the future, like the Me Too movement, for example. Like by speaking out, by, you know, having built up the courage to speaking out about your own unpleasant experience sexual harassment or whatever you are creating and changing the environment for a better world
0: thank you to caroline for taking part in this episode you can buy under red skies now from the hearst publisher's website afterwards is produced by george mcdonough for more follow hearst at Hearst Publishers and quilt.ai at quiltai underscore on Twitter. And to get news on the latest Hearst books, subscribe to the email updates at hearstpublishers.com. I'm Angat Singh Chaudhary. Thank you for listening and follow me on Twitter at Angat